You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. How many of you were here two weeks ago when Jeremy spoke on forgiveness? Awesome. Cool. So it was a great message. I really encourage you to go listen to it. Um, I would kind of consider what I'm about to say kind of part two of um, what Jeremy began two weeks ago. Um, So Jeremy did a beautiful job taking us through scripture on why we forgive and don't hold on to unforgiveness. One of my favorite phrases that um, I've heard over the years is that, Uh, holding on to unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other guy to die. Anyone? Yeah. And um, I mean, why do we do that? Why do we, why do we feel the need to hold on to unforgiveness? It's, um, it's control, right? It is an attempt to feel powerful against a circumstance or a person that's made us feel powerless right? Um, But today, I want to talk about what happens when we have forgiven, but we still feel pain. Because not a lot of people talk about what happens after we've said, I forgive you, and you make that powerful choice, but you still feel offended, or you still feel a pang of heartache. And I've heard people say before, you know, if I still feel pain or if I still feel offended, then I probably haven't forgiven. And uh, that's not true. Forgiveness and offense are not the same thing. In our home, we have a phrase that we use with our kids. uh, Forgiveness is automatic, but trust is a choice. And if you think about it, When we got saved, when you said yes to the Lord, you took that big, powerful faith step of saying, Lord, I want to entrust you and have you in my heart and and walk with you in my life. In that moment, we experienced salvation, but maybe some of the sin issues or the other things that we've walked through our entire lives didn't immediately get cleared up. Does that make sense? So it's about this journey and this process with the Lord. And... um, If you have been in relationship with anyone for any amount of time, you will have the opportunity to choose to be offended. I don't care if it's with your siblings, your spouse, your spouse, (laughs) Um, with your coworkers, with your parents, with your children whether they are very little or very big, you have the option to become offended at the way that they're making maybe not so powerful choices. Um, We also have the opportunity to become offended with God. And I don't know that we always know that we're offended at God because that's kind of maybe in our minds a no-no, God is always right, I'm not offended at the Lord, and yet there's still this pang or something that keeps us from running to him when we're feeling pain or when we're feeling upset. Uh, Corey talked last week about the road to Emmaus, about Jesus meeting the two guys on the road, and he touched on it briefly, but talking about what it looks like when what you expected to happen doesn't happen, and it creates a disappointment in your life. They had an expectation of how God was going to show up, and he didn't show up that way. 
their thought was he's going to come into the earth, he's going to defeat the Romans, he's going to actually become king on earth, but he died. And even more interesting to me is that you have like all of his A-team are in the upper room, they're gathering together, they're praying, but he shows up to these guys? If you think about it, how ready are we going to be if we're here, we're showing up at the prayer room, we're worshiping the Lord, but God chooses to manifest or come through some other way? I want us to talk us through what it looks like to go through a process of processing our offense. Um, part of my story um, that I've talked about before here, but... Um, I have a father who struggles with addiction, and that manifested in a lot of trauma growing up. So by the time I was 18, as you can imagine, I had some unforgiveness and a whole bag of wounds that I was carrying around. <clears throat> now, I made a really powerful decision to give my life to the Lord. It finally happened right around almost 18 years old. And um, during this time, my parents had, had kind of newly come to know the Lord, so they were attending a small group. And at about 45 years old, my parents were the youngins at this small group. It was led by this really powerful six-year-old couple named Gary and Deborah. And I would sometimes go with them. Well, Gary started to just take a sweet interest in me. And so every week on Tuesday mornings at 7 a.m., which for an 18-year-old uh, is so early, he would come and pick me up in his foreigner and take me to a diner and we'd have breakfast and we'd sit in the same booth and he would talk to me about Jesus. This guy that I had just accepted into my heart, he'd tell me about who he was. In the process of him and I going back and forth, it became very clear to Gary that I, um, I was upset and angry and hurt by my dad. And so I remember one, Sunday, one Tuesday morning, he said to me, Ashley, I want you to write a letter. And in that letter, I want you to put everything that you want to tell your dad that you've never felt like you've been able to tell him. Because the truth was, I had unforgiveness because no one had ever asked for my forgiveness and I didn't know where to put it. So I spent the next week working really hard on this letter. I mean, I was eloquent. <laughs> and the next Tuesday morning, Gary picks me up, we go sit down at our booth, and I take the letter out of my bag and I put it on the table and I just push it over to him. And he looks at it and he goes, good job, kiddo. And he slides it back to me and he said, now I want you to burn it. And I, I was like, no, no, no. You see, you don't understand. He needs to know all these things. I'm, I finally feel like I might be ready to let him know all the ways that he hurt me. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He looked at me and he said, you need to be able to forgive him and let it go without him ever knowing how badly he hurt you. That was really hard to hear. 
and I forgave my dad. I did. But I carried that letter around in my Bible for years afterwards. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago when a beautiful, wise woman that I know asked me this question. I tell this story a lot. And so I was telling her my story because this is a story that I've used a lot of times to talk about forgiveness. Um, But she asked me this question. She said, why do you think you carried the letter around in your Bible all those years? And it's because I wasn't ready to let it go. I wasn't sure whether or not I still wanted to send it. I forgave my dad, but I wasn't sure that I wanted to let go of the hurt and the pain and the things that had been done to me. They were kind of part of my identity. They were part of my journey, and I kind of felt like they belonged to me. But the thing is that um, offense is kind of like a drug. It's a synthetic form of righteousness that we can hold on to because it's our right. It happened to me. But we kind of all know about addiction is that um, it's really easy to become addicted, but it is work to get sober. And if we're not careful with our addiction, it does like it did for me, and it starts to get um, intertwined in our identity, in our personality, before removing it takes a whole lot more precise work because we begin to take ownership of a lot of the things that have happened. When Gary was talking to me about letting it go, what I didn't realize was that he was giving me a tool that I would need for the rest of my life. Forgiving my dad and releasing my dad was actually just the first instance, the first step in my short life of forgiving and releasing. It's a skill that I would need forever. (laughs) It's a skill that I would need for marriage. It is a skill that I would need for becoming an adult and having changing relationships with my parents. It was a skill that I would need for being in ministry, for walking with God, when I heard something and it didn't work out the way that I expected it to. Because here's the truth. I can forgive and I can process offense without ever getting my pound of flesh. And I want to talk to you guys about how we do that. So now comes all the Bible stuff. Um... Let me just say this real quick um, before we get started. Life isn't fair. My kids uh, will constantly say to me, that's not fair. She did that. Da, da, da. That's not fair. And I always respond to them, oh, life is not fair. Isn't that great? And they think I'm crazy, but I'm like, the gospel isn't fair. Thank God. Jesus died on a cross for my sin. That's not fair. Thank the Lord that life isn't fair. 
I didn't get what I deserved. Whoo, thank you, Jesus. So I want you guys to keep that in mind as we're processing. Whoo, the first step of working through is go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. I heard someone wise this week say that if you're talking to someone who's not part of the solution or the problem, it's just gossip. Go to Jesus. Psalm 62.8. You guys go to Psalm 62.8. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Okay. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Next. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I want to focus on this one. We bring it to him. There's an exchange of peace, and he guards your heart and your mind. Do you know where the addiction hits? Your heart and your mind. So when we go to him first and we start to take to him, this person hurt me, or Lord, I had an expectation that you would show up this way and I'm hurt and I'm disappointed, and we get real and vulnerable, that he will guard our heart and our mind as we walk out the process. All right, number two. Number two is kind of a big one. Number two is steward your process. And I have a lot to say about this because our process looks like I just said, number one, we go to the Lord. But then next, the second, oh, thanks. That's awesome. The second rule, the second rule of getting through a fence is the first rule of Fight Club. We don't, we don't talk about it. We don't, we don't spread it around. Danny Silk uses this uh, illustration of a bucket of paint and that when a mess happens or something happens, the paint is spilled and you look around and you see who has paint on them and you clean up the paint. You don't want to go playing in the paint and then smearing it on a bunch of other people, getting them in the mess. You know what I say? Okay. Addicts flock to other addicts. Your pain will mysteriously find its way to other people with the same pain. And then you'll just be having a pain party. <laughs> Proverbs 29.11 says, Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. It also says, uh, another version of this, ESV says, uh, fools give full vent to their spirit, but the wise quietly stay silent. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And keep going. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with any form of malice. Every form. Every form. 
Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ forgave you. Ooh, yeah, 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 I love the word. Ooh, this is one of my favorites. Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Y'all, this, this scripture has gotten me through so much. And I want you to know as I'm going through and I'm listing off scriptures, that as I was preparing for this message, these are all scriptures. I went through my old journals and I'm just pulling things that have been life to me when I've been going through what I'm talking about right now. I still need them. Um, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Let's talk about this. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Oh, dang. So, hands that shed innocent blood <laughs> and stirring up conflict within a community are in the same section of scripture. I think that the Lord cares about it. Now, as I'm saying all this, I want to tell you it's okay to find someone safe to process with. But there are criteria for having that someone that's safe to process with. Number one, they cannot share your offense. Number two, they cannot take offense on your behalf. Secondary offense is no joke. They need to have a history of victory over offense. or they need to be a licensed counselor who's bound by the law not to talk about it to anyone else. That works too. Hallelujah, we love you, all of you professional people helping us stay sane. Thank you, Lord. All right, uh, tool number three, meditate on hope. We wanna wash and renew our minds with the word of God. We want to adjust the lens with which we view people. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, or 13, 4 says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, I'm not saying we don't use discernment. But I'm saying that when my assumptions go through the lens of love, hopes all things, believes all things, then what shifts and changes may not be that person in their actions, but it's the way that I walk, the way that I perceive, the way that I'm actually getting to hear from the Lord. I want to go back to Philippians. Let's go back to Philippians 4, Philippians 4, 8. 
Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. There's that peace again. Why is peace important when we're going through the junk and we feel pain? Have you guys ever been in a place of heartache or offense and it causes, it causes kind of like a, like how do you even know you're offended? You feel that, that catch in your gut, in your heart. You feel anxious when you think about the situation. You feel anxious when you think about the person. That's why peace is so important. When you're going through something hard, look for anchors in scripture. Search out, go in there and find the things that are going to tether you to the shore when the waves of offense or the waves of culture want to throw you all around. You be in charge of the narrative. You get to choose. Just like you get to choose offense, you get to choose the narrative of what happened, how it comes out of your mouth, and how you wash it out through your mind. My dad didn't change. To this day, he's pretty, he's pretty much the same. But I did. The way that I perceive him, the way that I speak about him, the way that I speak to him has changed, and it has changed the relationship that we have. It has made it so that I can have relationship in a healthy way where I... If you guys have ever, if I've ever talked about boundaries here before, I'm real big on them. Boundaries aren't walls, they're spheres of influence. So think of like ripples of water. Through his actions, my dad may be out here. That does not keep the waves, the love from going towards him. It means that his influence can only come so far. And the only way that his influence changes is through his actions, not through words. But in that process, it has allowed me to be able to love him unconditionally because his actions don't define my love and his actions don't define the way that I choose to see him. He may act one way, but I say, you are a beloved son of God. And what happens when you change the narrative is you become a person that can look at dry bones and tell them to live. The situation that hurt you, the person that let you down is dry bones. But we speak a different word, don't we? Number four, let it go. Let it go. Go. Don't let it hold you back anymore. Uh, let's talk about the need for justice. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, everyone in the room goes, hmm. First Peter 2, 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. 
Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I think you would need peace to entrust yourself to him who judges justly. First John 2, 9 through 11. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I think this is the warning. Do you ever wonder how people who hurt other people get to where they are? Usually hurt people hurt people, right? Hurt people with unprocessed trauma, pain, heartache, offense, become blinded to how they hurt other people. The devil is called the accuser of the brethren. So like we were talking about with the narrative, with our minds about letting people go, what he's going to do is he's going to tell us all the things that we should accuse that person of, that they have earned, that they deserve. But if we've ever had any, any time of teaching ourselves how to hear the voice of God, it's that there are, there are different ways, different things that we hear in our mind. You can hear the accuser, you can hear yourself, or you can hear the Lord. How do you know when it's the Lord? It's going to be the most life-giving, the most hopeful, possibly even offensive love that comes to your mind. Can the worship team come back up? Do you guys mind? Um, <clears throat> I listed off four things here, but I want you to know something. There is no key. I spent a lot of time, have experienced my fair share of pain, and I have tried to diagnose how to get in, get out quickly as possible without having to feel too much pain. So I started to create this process where I'm like, you know what? When I start to go through something really hard or it's traumatic or it's heartache, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to like buckle down on Jesus real hard and I'm going to find what the lesson is. And I'm going to take that tool and put it in my pocket and I'm going to use it for the Lord. And that worked for a little while until it didn't. And I realized that I was creating a pharisaical process and box to put Jesus in and make him a formula. My devotion, my attempt to create more tools to battle for the Lord was actually me being a Pharisee. Because the truth is, he 
is with me in my process. The point is that he's there in my sorrow. The point is Psalm 34, he is close to the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. I carry that verse real close, y'all. The crushed in spirit. There is no key. There is no grit and bear it. There is no, if I can do all the things and check off the list. Sometimes it's just where he meets you. He meets you on the floor at 4 a.m. in Thailand. He meets you right after you've lost a baby. He meets you when you're so alone and you feel really lost. <laughs> and you don't know how to find him again. You can't feel him or you, you don't know when you lost him. You don't know when you started feeding on self-pity instead of hope, but you did and you got to the place where that felt better than the Lord for a while and suddenly you don't know how to find him. And every single prayer you pray, every single time you renew your mind with hope, it is grasping for that shore. It's grasping for a single anchor that's gonna keep you tethered. And it's really hard in the beginning and you have to constantly remind yourself, but slowly over time through walking with him and reminding yourself and renewing your mind, you don't have to do it so often. And suddenly there he is and you're dwelling in peace again and you're recognizing he was always there, but you'd blinded your eyes. We live in a culture that's being torn apart by offense. It is so easy to take the bait. It is so easy. It's one conversation. It's one thing you see on Instagram and you feel it, it's like It's offense that feels like righteousness. And so I wanna invite us into radical love of releasing today. I'm not gonna invite you down, but I want us to worship and I want us to be vulnerable with the Lord. If you haven't had a chance to, to be offended at someone or something, I would actually question the depth and the vulnerability of the relationships around you. When we get vulnerable, it's scary. And it's weird, but we think we can hide from the Lord some of these things that are going on inside of us. And we try to like muscle through it. I'm not offended. When the truth is, yeah, I'm disappointed that didn't go my way. I'm disappointed that I gave a year of my life or I'm disappointed that, you know what I mean? Y'all know what I mean. the lights for a second. I just want to give it like an atmosphere where you get, you can just, you can be you. Um, Jesus is coming back for a pure and a spotless bride. And if I have the power to make a vulnerable, powerful choice to be spotless for him and to not carry this around, I want to just give it give it to him. 
because that's what he did. He died for us. He died for us to live free. So why wouldn't we be as free as we possibly can? Jesus. Oh, Father, we love you. We trust you. We trust that you're big enough. We trust that you're big enough to cover the things that, that have hurt our hearts, the disappointments, the failures, the people that have let us down, the people that have outright betrayed us. Jesus, would you come into every heart here, into my heart? Father, would you take us through that process? We say yes to the journey of walking with you through this process. Because you're worthy, you're worthy. We were singing over and over that he's worthy. You're worthy, God of every single bit of our hearts, every single, not a single place are we gonna leave with cobwebs or darkness or we're gonna clean house. And yes, we know that if you've ever organized a closet before, you have to pull everything out. It gets kind of messy before it can actually get clean. We say yes, God, to being messy. Y'all, this is a place where you can be messy. Jesus. Guys, this is a, a beautiful moment and opportunity that Ashley's given us just to let people out of that place in our hearts. You know, for me, I've forgiven people who've hurt me, but often for years afterwards, I'm having imaginary conversations with them where I'm always winning the conversation. And even though like I've forgiven them, I've blessed them, I pray for them, there's still those moments where I'm, I'm revisiting a moment, a conversation, and I'm rewriting it in my head to be the one who's delivering that final just blow of vengeance verbally or whatever. And there are people that um, we just need to let go, we need to let them out. We're not, let them out of that place in our soul. So can we just pray together? Father, those people that we've fought to forgive, the ones that we've blessed and prayed for, but still make cameos in our imagination, Lord. We just let them go. I ask that you'd forgive me for not forgiving. Lord, let the power of your mercy just flow through this room. Wash our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.